Chapter Thirty One of the Little Minister. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Little Minister by J. M. Barry. Chapter Thirty One Various Bodies Converging on the Hill it would be coming on for a quarter past nine in a misty night when i reached the schoolhouse and i was so weary of mind and body that i sat down without taking off my bonnet i had left the door open and i remember listlessly watching the wind making a target of my candle but never taking a sufficiently big breath to do more than frighten it from this lethargy i was roused by the sound of wheels in the daytime our glen road leads to many parts but in the night only to the doctor's then the gallop of a horse makes farmers start up in bed and cry who's ill i went to my door and listened to the trap coming swiftly down the lonely glen but i could not see it for there was a trailing scarf of mist between the schoolhouse and the road presently i heard the swish of wheels in water and so learned that they were crossing the ford to come to me i had been unstrung by the events of the evening and fear at once pressed thick upon me that this might be a sequel to them as indeed it was while still out of sight the trap stopped and i heard some one jump from it then came this conversation as distinct as though it had been spoken into my ear can you see the schoolhouse now mackenzie i am groping for it rintoul the mist seems to have made off with the path where are you mackenzie i have lost sight of you it was but a ribbon of mist and as these words were spoken mackenzie broke through it i saw him though to him i was only a stone at my door i have found the house rintoul he shouted and there is light in it so that the fellow has doubtless returned then wait a moment for me stay where you are rintoul i entreat you and leave him to me he may recognize you no no mackenzie i am sure he never saw me before i insist on accompanying you your excitement rintoul will betray you let me go alone i can question him without rousing his suspicions remember she is only a gypsy to him he will learn nothing from me i am quite calm now rintoul i warn you your manner will betray you and to-morrow it will be roared through the countryside that your bride ran away from the spittal in a gypsy dress and it had to be brought back by force the altercation may have lasted another minute but the suddenness with which i learned babby's secret had left my ears incapable of learning more i dare say the two men started when they found me at my door but they did not remember as few do remember who have the noisy day to forget it in how far the voice carries in the night they came as suddenly on me as i on them for though they had given the unintentional notice of their approach i had lost sight of the speakers in their amazing words only a moment did young mackenzie's anxiety to be spokesman give me to regard lord rintoul i saw that he was a thin man and tall straight in the figure but his head began to sink into his shoulders and not very steady on them his teeth had grip of his underlip as if this was a method of controlling his agitation and he was opening and shutting his hands relentlessly he had a dog with him which i was to meet again well met mr ogilvy said mackenzie who knew me slightly having once acted as judge at a cock-fight in the schoolhouse we were afraid we should have to rouse you you will step inside i asked awkwardly and while i spoke i was wondering how long it would be before the earl's excitement broke out it is not necessary mackenzie answered hurriedly my friend and i uh, this is mr mcclure have been caught in the mist without a lamp and we thought you could perhaps favour us with one 
unfortunately i have nothing of the kind i said and the state of mind i was in is shown by my answering seriously then we must wish you a good night and manage as best we can he said and then before he could touch with affected indifference on the real object of their visit the alarmed earl said angrily mackenzie no more of this no more of this delay do you mean mcclure asked mackenzie and then turning to me said by the way mr ogilvy i think this is our second meeting to-night i met you on the road a few hours ago with your wife or was it your daughter it was neither mr mackenzie i answered with the calmness of one not yet recovered from a shock it was the gypsy girl where is she now cried rintoul feverishly but mackenzie speaking loudly at the same time tried to drown his interference as one obliterates writing by writing over it a strange companion for a schoolmaster he said what became of her i left her near caddam wood i replied but she is probably not there now ah they are strange creatures these gypsies he said casting a warning look at the earl now i wonder where she had been bound for there is a gypsy encampment on the hill i answered though i cannot say why she is there exclaimed rintoul and was done with me i dare say mackenzie said indifferently however it is nothing to us good-night sir the earl had started for the trap but mackenzie's salute reminded him of a forgotten courtesy and despite his agitation he came back to apologize i admired him for this then my thoughtlessness must needs mar all good-night mr mackenzie i said good-night lord rintoul i had addressed him by his real name never a turnip fell from a bumping laden cart and the driver more unconscious of it than i that i had dropped that word i re-entered the house but had not reached my chair when mackenzie's hand fell roughly on me and i was swung round mr ogilvy he said the more savagely i doubt not because his patience had been chained so long you know more than you would have us think beware sir of recognizing that gypsy should you ever see her again in different attire i advise you to have forgotten this night when you awaken to-morrow morning with a menacing gesture he left me and i sank into a chair glad to lose sight of the glowering eyes with which he had pinned me to the wall i did not hear the trap cross the ford and renew its journey when i looked out next the night had fallen very dark and the glen was so deathly in its drowsiness that i thought not even the cry of murder could tear its eyes open the earl and mackenzie would be some distance still from the hill when the office-bearers had scoured it in vain for their minister the gypsies now dancing round their fires to music that on ordinary occasions lang tammas would have stopped by using his fists to the glory of god had seen no minister they said and disbelieved in the existence of the mysterious egyptian liars they are to trade spens declared to his companions but now and again they speak the truth like a standin clock and i'm beginning to think the minister's lassie was invented in the square not so said the presenter for we saw her ourselves a short year syne and henry munn there allows there's townsfolk that high past are in the glen the mare recently i only allowed henry said cautiously that some sich talk had shot up sudden like in the town them that pretends they saw her says that she juke it quick out of sea ay and there's another quirk in that responded the suspicious presentor i's upod the minister sittin in the manse in his slippers by this time hendry said i'm willin replied wamond the gang back and spear or to search caddam next but let the matter drop i winna though i ken you're a wid to be a hama now unnaturally retorted tosh 
pretty nicks coming on as black as pick, and by the time we're at Caddam, we'll no even see the trees. Toward Caddam, nevertheless, they advanced, hearing nothing but a distant wind and the wish of their legs in the broom. Where's John Spence? Hendry said suddenly. They turned back and found Spence rooted to the ground, as a boy becomes motionless when he thinks he is within arm's reach of a nest and the bird sitting on the eggs. What do you see, man? Hendry whispered. As sure as death, answered Spence, awestruck. I felt the drop of rain. It's no rain we're here to look for, said the presenter. Peter Tosh, cried Spence. It was a drop. Oh, Peter, how are you looking at me so queer, Peter, when you should be thanking the Lord for the promise that's in that drop? Come away, woman said impatiently. But Spence answered, No, till I've offered up a prayer for the promise that's in that drop. Peter Tosh, you've forgotten to take off your bonnet. Think twice, John Spence, gasped Tosh, afore you pray for rain this sneak. The others thought him crazy, but he went on with a catch in his voice. I felt the drop of rain myself just afore it came on dark so hurried, and my first impulse was to wish that I could carry that drop about with me and look at it. But John Spence, when I looked up, I saw such a change running o'er the sky that I thought hell had tied the place of heaven, and that there was water spouts gathering therein for the drowning of the world. It's no water in hell, the presenter said grimly. Genesis 9, said Spence, verses 8 to 17. Aye, but Peter, you startled me, and I'm thinking we should be stepping hammer. Is that a leak? It'll be in Nanny Webster's, Hendry said, after they had all regarded the light. I never heard that Nanny needed a candle to leak her to bed, the presenter muttered. She was a to meet Sanders the day as he came out of the Tilly-drum goal, Benz remembered, and I dare say the leak means their hammer again. It's well, Kent, began Hendry, and would have recalled his words. Hendry Munn! cried the presenter. If you high-minded only thing that may help us, out with it. I wish just mindin', the Kirk officer answered reluctantly. That nanny allows it's Mr. Dishart that has been keeping her fry the poor house. You cannot censure him for that, Thomas. Can I know, retorted Wamond. What business has he to befriend the woman that belongs to another denomination? I'll see to the bottom of that dish, Nick. Lads, follow me to Nanny's, and dinna be surprised if we find both the minister and the Egyptian there. They had not advanced many yards when Spence jumped to the side, crying, Be wary! That's no the wind, it's a machine! Immediately the doctor's dog-cart was close to them, with Rob Dow for its only occupant. He was driving slowly, or woman could not have escaped the horse's hoofs. Is that you, Rob Dow? said the presenter sourly. I'll tell you... You'll be gold for stealing the doctor's machine. The highwayman was no muckle hurt, Rob, Hendry said, more good-naturedly. I ken that, replied Rob, scowling at the four of them. What are you doing here on such a neat? Do you see anything strange in the neat, Rob? Tosh asked apprehensively. It's set the rain, Dow replied. I dinna see it, but I feel it. Aye, said Tosh eagerly, but will it be a saft, cowdy, sweet dingong? Let the heavens open if they will, interposed Spence recklessly. I would swap the drought for rain, though it comes down in a sheet as in the year twelve. And like a sheet it'll come, replied Dow, and the devil'll blow it about with his biggest bellowses. Todd shivered, but Woman shook him roughly, saying, Keep your oath to yourself, Rob Dow, and tell me, how you seen Mr. Dishart? My hinna, Rob answered curtly. 
preparing to drive on. Now the lassie they call the Egyptian. Rob leapt from the dog-cart, crying, What does that mean? Hands off, said the presenter, retreating from him. It means that Mr. Dishart neglected the prayer meeting this night to philander after that heathen woman. We're no sure it, Tamish, remonstrated the kirk officer. Thou stood quite still. I believe Rob kins it's true, Hendry added sadly, or he would have flown at your throat, Tamish woman, for saying these words. Even this did not rouse Dow. Rob does not worship the minister as he used to do, said Spence. And what for no? cried the presenter. Rob Dow, is it because you found out about this woman? You're a pack of liars, roared Rob desperately. And if you say again that only wandering hussy has hauded a minister, I'll let you see whether I can loop it throats. You'll swear by the book? asked Woman relentlessly. That you've seen neither of them this nicht, nor them together at any time? I so swore by the book, answered poor loyal Rob. But what makes you look for Mr. Dishart here? he demanded, with an uneasy look at the light in the mud-house. Go home, replied the presenter, and deliver up the machine you stole, and leave this session to do its duty. John, we maun fathom the meaning of that licht. Thou started, and was probably at that moment within an ace of felon woman. I'll come wit ye, he said, hunting in his mind for a better way of helping Gavin. They were at Nanny's garden, but in the darkness Woman could not find the gate. Rob climbed the paling and was at once lost sight of. Then they saw his head obscure the window. They did not, however, hear the groan that startled Babby. There's nobody there, he said, coming back. But Nanny and Sanders, you'll mind Sanders was to be freed the day. I'll go in and see Sanders, said Hendry. But the presenter pulled him back, saying, You'll do nothing of the kind, Hendry Moon. You come away with me now to the manse. It's mair than me and Peter'll do, then, said Spence, who had been consulting with the other farmer. We're gone as stocked, Hama, as the darkness I'll let us. With few more words, the session parted, Spence and Tosh setting off for their farms, and Hendry accompanying the presenter. No one will ever know where Dow went. I can fancy him, however, returning to the wood, and there drawing rein. I can fancy his mind made up to watch the mud-house until Gavin and the gypsy separated, and then pounce upon her. I dare say his whole plot could be condensed into a sentence. If she's got rid of this neat, we may cheat the session yet. But this is mere surprise. All I know is that he waited near Nanny's house, and by and by heard another trap coming up Windy Ghoul. That was just before the ten o'clock bell began to ring. End of chapter 31